Let's turn now in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 21. This is God's word. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. One of the most common ways the Bible speaks about your life as Christians is that of walking. Like in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, the Christian life is a journey. It's filled with highs and lows, mountains and valleys, dangers, robbers, side trails. And there is no standing still in this life. All of you are walking at every moment to either one of two destinations. Those who are without Christ walk according to the course of this world, Ephesians tells us in chapter 2. It is a broad path to destruction, and many are those who walk in it. But the Lord Jesus told us also of a second path, a narrow way, a way of wisdom, which leads to life. Thankfully, God has not left you to find your way on your own. He has shown us the way. He has told us of our destination. Our Lord Jesus has walked this path himself, and he calls us to deny ourselves to take up our crosses, and to follow him. This you cannot do on your own. God knows that. And so he himself walks with you in this path. He promises to lead us by his spirit. His spirit leads us into truth. His spirit leads us to his son. His spirit opens up our eyes to understand God's word, which is a light to our paths, a lamp to our feet. And God himself promises to guide and protect us like a good shepherd. But you are still called to walk And the way that we are called to walk has been described here in general terms in the last couple chapters of Ephesians. 
In, in chapters 4 and 5, Paul has called us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, chapter 4, verse 1. And in 4, verse 7, God called us no, to no longer walk in the futility of your minds like the Gentiles. <clears throat> so far in chapter 5, we are told to walk in love as Christ loved you and gave himself for you. And verse 8, to walk as children of light, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Here in our passage, for the last time in this book, we are called to walk again. But this time, to walk carefully. To watch your step. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Or could be translated, look carefully. Look around. Think about what you're doing. Where you're going. Think about how you are walking. Here's the first point. The Christian life that God has called you to requires that you think carefully about what you are doing. Where you are going. How you are walking. No one has ever walked aimlessly through life carelessly, recklessly, and then looks backwards at the end of it, over it, and, and says, isn't that incredible? I did exactly what I should have done the whole time. I walked just the right path the whole way. Now, life requires careful consideration. Why? For one reason, this path is filled with dangers, I don't know, for those of you who are parents, you know, one of the things that you say most frequently is, be careful, you know, pay attention, because our, you know, children get hurt all the time. They're, I have a little one who's just learning to walk, and she likes to walk right near the top of the stairs for some reason, and scare me. And we have dangers all around us. God calls you to be careful to walk carefully. He's there to guide you through the valley. But we have to pay attention. Paul is telling us to be careful. And there are many places every day where you could stumble if you do not walk carefully. So we are to pay attention, to look around, to think about the way you live. Now this requires wisdom. Earlier, Paul was contrasting our walk as walking as children of light, and he was contrasting that light with darkness. You were darkness. Now you are light. Walk as children of light. Here the contrast is wisdom and foolishness. Walk wisely, not as the unwise, but as wise. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And this wise walking begins with knowing who God is. The wisdom of the world will not be found reading Marcus Aurelius or Seneca or listening to the radio or whoever 
whatever TV show to give you worldly wisdom, the wisdom that we are talking about here begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that means recognizing that Father knows best. Recognizing that God who made you, who knows the future, who knows exactly what's best for you in this walk, in this journey. He created your life. He knows how to live it. The human life comes with a user's manual, an owner's manual. It's the Bible. It shows us who we are, what our needs are, what the dangers are. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, this walking, a couple times in this chapter, is connected to paying attention, not just to your walk, but paying attention to God's will. So earlier, it says, verse 8, walk as children of light, verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Here, notice again, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. Verse 17, uh, 17, understand what the will of the Lord is. So for a wise walk, for walking in the light as children of the light, we are to understand what is pleasing to the Lord. We are trying to discern his will. And this means, as I have mentioned before, Always not just looking at yourself, but looking at him. God has called you to walk in love, not in general terms, but to walk in love and be imitators of him. And if you are to imitate him, you must pay very close attention to him. How you are to walk. I told my children in family worship once about... This, I said, now I want you to watch me, imitate me. And I would do silly motions. And they were all fixed on me, paying attention. God says, imitate me. That means fix your eyes on him. That is your model. Jesus Christ is not just your savior. He is also the perfect illustration of every command in here. He is one who walks wisely. He walks as the light. He is the light. He walked in love. So think about how Jesus lived, how he used his time. Think about what he avoided, what he protected, how he balanced things. And that is what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, how do we know God's will? I knew somebody who would would walk down the sidewalk and pray, Lord, should I go to McDonald's? Should I go to Burger King? And this was in Taiwan. And I, I told him that God's law, you know, allows him to go to either place. Um, and he doesn't have to worry too much about that. God's law is like a big fence around a big, wide, open, beautiful field. And we can go anywhere we want to in that with wisdom. For some people, at different times in your life, God's will will be different what's required of you. Good use of your time. It's not the same for every person. 
There are many good things you can do. You need wisdom for that, but you definitely want to stay within God's revealed will. You do not need God to tell you every little detail of your life, whether you put on the left sock or the right sock first. But you do need to look to his will and fill your mind with the scripture that you might know what things you cannot do and what things he values. So how do we know God's will? It is by looking at Christ, imitating him, also by knowing his word. In his law, in his word, the way Jesus walked there, we see God's wisdom, God's will made manifest. That word is like a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. That helps you to walk carefully. Now, Paul continues here to teach us a few different characteristics of a wise walk. The first characteristic he speaks of here is a wise use of time. Now, this is an easy thing to say, a hard thing to do. How rarely is time used wisely and carefully? There is scarcely nothing more precious in this life than time and almost nothing with which men are more prodigal. We sometimes speak of time in the same way we speak of money. Time is money, people say, or we talk of spending time. But time is far more precious. You could always make more money if you lost some. You cannot make more time. Time is always being spent at a constant rate, You can never earn more of it, for your days are numbered. We're constantly spending it. We never get it back. The wise man uses that time carefully. 3,000 years ago, Moses prayed in Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. Also in that psalm, he numbers his days. He says, 70 years, or 80 years, perhaps, of strength. We don't know how long exactly. Our time is limited. But we live, so many people live today as if they can keep everything that they get in this world, and as if they're immortal, hoping that technology will advance just enough that they'll be able to get into that group that lives forever. It's not the case. God has appointed for us once to die. And after that comes judgment. But we are called to number our days, to value them carefully. I've sometimes, I've heard this illustration, not a sermon illustration, but just a kind of a thought exercise that imagine if when your child is born, that you are given a jar of coins 216 coins, one for every month until they turn 18. And every month you take, a, you take one of the coins out. And as you see that jar emptying, your time with them, not that your, your time with them ends at 18, but you might not even get that many years with them. But as you see that jar emptying out, 
you begin to value each of those coins more. Each day is a gift. You have to spend it the right way. You have to use it wisely. And no one does that by being careless, by being thoughtless. Some people manage tasks. They try to think about what I must do today, what I ought to do today, what I would like to do today. Some people try to manage their time and say, what will I do with this hour? What will I do with that hour? I'm not advocating either of those necessarily, but you are to be thoughtful about how you use time. We are held accountable for it. And it's, it's being spent whether or not you use it carelessly or wisely. It's gone and it won't come back. I know many of you are towards the latter half of your lives. Our jar is getting, getting emptied out. Marie Laney, her last day was today. I was with her um, this week. I read to her from Psalm 121. I remember she told me earlier that her favorite hymn was Be Still My Soul. It's what Betty was playing today during our tithes and offerings. Resting in the Lord, that's certainly a good use of your time. But there are so many things in, in our lives that are a waste that we'll look back on and we, we won't say, you know, I wish I had spent more time doing that. We, are, we live in a world, you know, that's addicted to wasting time. Consider when you have nothing to do, what do you do? What is it that you tend towards? For most people, many people, we're in a constant state of trying to be entertained. It could be binge-watching Netflix or some other TV show. You could be watching YouTube videos, scrolling through Facebook, playing games, reading books that might be good but might not be good for your soul. Time is not neutral. There is time to rest. There is time to read things, watch things, play things. But it's so easy for us to use too much of it, to become too focused on it. Time, you see, is not neutral. Paul says here that the days are evil, and we are to make the best use of the time for that reason. We are living in what the Bible calls this present evil age. All around us, time is being used in sinful, wasteful ways. I mentioned earlier that no one is standing still. Everyone is walking at every moment. So time is not neutral. Now we must learn to wisely balance our lives we can enjoy God's creation. We can relax. We can sleep. We can play games in moderation. 
but we must protect ourselves from being too addicted to wasting time. Consider how, this week, how much time did you spend watching TV? How much time did you spend prayer? In prayer. How much time did you spend worshiping God? How much time did you spend that you can look back on and say, that was definitely a good use of my time? Life is short, but eternity is forever. The Puritan minister Richard Baxter said, the face of death, the nearness of eternity, convinced me of what books to read, what studies to pursue, what companions to choose. It drove me early into the vineyard of the Lord and to preach as a dying man to dying men. Friends, a day is soon coming when all that is in this world will pass away and you will stand face to face with the judge of all the earth. There is not one minute for which you are not accountable. How have you made use of your time? Again, wise living doesn't mean simply living aimlessly. There are many workaholics, not living aimlessly, for there are many workaholics who are extremely efficient and stingy with their time. They read books about how to get things done. They keep a strict schedule, a strict routine. They jealously guard their minutes so that they can check off all their goals. They know life is short and they use every moment carefully, but not necessarily wisely. The work, workaholic might spend his entire life in a super efficient frenzy and yet waste every moment because he was living only for this world. We need to know why we are here. We need to have a purpose, a direction for our lives, and we need to have focus in that direction. Using time wisely means prayerfully considering God's word and how we may take what God has revealed and use it practically in our daily walk. Consider Again, the Lord Jesus. He was a man who was aware of the time. He knew when his time was at hand. He knew when his hour was not yet. It didn't mean he was always doing ministry in the same way that we would think about it because the first 30 years of his life, he was waiting. He was doing something useful, but we're not told. Sometimes I've heard people say, that seminaries produce men to serve 30 years in three years. Jesus prepared 30 years to serve for three years. I, I don't follow this exactly because I don't expect every pastor to die after three years. But the Lord Jesus didn't waste his time. He was learning early in the vineyard of the Lord learning God's word, learning God's will, being diligent to know what is pleasing to the Lord, as Ephesians tells us. He knew when his time had come. He was busy in ministry. 
He did not waste time, but he knew that there was times when he had to get away to pray, to be alone. He wasn't always with people. He also knew what it was like to be flexible with his schedule when children would come up to him. And people would say, oh, he's too busy for you. And he would say, let them come to me. Jesus knew how to be flexible with his time and still to use it wisely. So I cannot tell you exactly what your schedule is going to be like for for you all, it's different. You're at different stages in life, different responsibilities that God has given you, many good things that could be done in it, doing your work heartily. As we'll continue through Ephesians, you'll see how Paul will give instructions to husbands, to wives, to children, to masters, to servants. That even servants can use their time wisely by doing their work well as unto the Lord. So, We all have different ways in which this must be applied. Paul is not trying to tell you what to do with your schedule exactly, but he's telling you to be careful, to walk carefully and with wisdom, trying to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now Paul then writes, verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Here we have, again, this putting off of one thing being replaced with something else. We are not to walk unwisely, but rather in wisdom. We are not to waste time, but to use it well and understand what the will of the Lord is. Here we are to put off that whole lifestyle that drunkenness so naturally leads to and instead be filled with the Spirit. Drunkenness was quite common in Ephesus and was even used in worship at times there. But drunkenness is pretty much the exact opposite of a careful walk. Drunkenness is a sin which is rarely alone. Other sins go along with it. It bears fruit, you might say. It leads to a lack of judgment, lack of control. It often leads to anger bad language, and basically everything opposite of a careful and wise walk. By contrast, being filled with the Spirit is completely different. We are not called to be drunk on the Spirit. That is not exactly the contrast. Sometimes people think that being filled with the Spirit means falling over, convulsing, whatever, losing control. This is strange to me because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. When you are filled with the Spirit, you do not lose control as with drunkenness. You are more self-controlled. Drunkenness leads to this lack of self-control. Being with the Spirit means walking more wisely. Drunkenness is also frequently associated with anger, fighting, shouting, giving way to uncontrolled passions. But being filled with the Spirit means being under the influence and the reign of the Holy Spirit. Our tongues are then used 
not in angry shouting, but for good. Teaching and encouraging one another, singing to the Lord, giving thanks to God. That's a great contrast again, a stark contrast between our old way of life and our calling as Christians. We are to evaluate ourselves by our our mouths. For the words we speak come out of our hearts. They reveal who we are. Those who are filled with the Spirit, they're filled with Scripture. They encourage one another in Psalms. If you were in Sunday school this morning, which you should have been. Actually, it's okay if you're not. But we sang a psalm together, encouraging one another. There is singing and making melody in your heart. Knowing God, being filled with the Spirit is not a boring life. Being drunk is boring. It's a depressant. Being filled with the Spirit is a stimulus. A stimulant. We are, we are happy in the Lord. There is joy. There is still singing and melody for the right reasons and giving thanks in all situations. Now, how are we to be filled with the Spirit? First of all, you are to do everything you can to make sure you do not grieve Him. And we submit ourselves to Christ's Word. We read it. We meditate on it, we memorize it, we hide it in our hearts. There, in Christ's word, Christ's spirit speaks to us and changes us. We begin to use scripture to teach and encourage one another. We start speaking, as it were, with a heavenly accent. We learn to see all of our troubles in the light of God's rule. So we can give thanks for everything. Not that everything is good. It's not. But God is good in everything. And we can give thanks for that. God uses all things for good, even evil. And so being filled with the Spirit, being filled with His teaching, it transforms us into people who are profoundly grateful in every circumstance. Like Paul, he said, I have found the secret of being content in every circumstance. Now, we cannot do this because every situation is good, but because we have a God who's good, who holds us fast in every situation. One more thing to see about this is that being filled with the Spirit brings us into, naturally, community with one another. We are encouraging one another. There is this outpouring of our own lives, mixing with one another, being encouraged and teaching, uh, helping our brothers and sisters. The spirit is a spirit of unity in the church, long-suffering, patience, joy. We see all these things, the fruit of the spirit and this all brings us back to walking carefully and using time wisely. For it's precisely 
by the Spirit's filling us and transforming us by Christ's powerful word that we learn how to walk carefully and wisely and make the best use of our time. These things, teaching, encouraging one another, worshiping God together, giving thanks, these are not a waste of your time. We were created for worship. We were created to walk in good works, to walk together in love, and to help one another. It's perhaps the error of Pilgrim's Progress that this guy is so lonely. We work, walk together down the road as a church, hand in hand. We were created to be together on this journey. And the Psalms are given to us for this reason as well. They encourage us to pray, to worship, to be thankful in a way that God loves. And yes, they teach us to teach and encourage one another. It's amazing if you look at it, how many Psalms are directed not just to God, but to one another. This is one thing I would love us to do more in the church, uh, to sing our psalms more in our worship, to see our children grow up as our Lord did, having so many psalms hidden in his heart because he grew up singing them so often. So we are called to humble ourselves before God in the psalms and in all of God's word. That is just what you and I need that we might walk wisely, to walk in wisdom, to be more and more transformed by God's word, that God's word would guide our feet as we walk, that it would be on our tongues as we encourage one another, that it would be in our hearts as we make melody and worship the Lord. All of this goes back, though, not to deriving just wisdom, practical points of life, from Scripture, but pointing us to our Savior, pointing us to our Shepherd who leads us on the way, who showed us the right walk, who showed us how to worship, who showed us how to love one another. We see it in the Lord's Supper that we're about to partake of. God says, be imitators of me. So keep your eyes on him. Remember him. Remember what he valued. What he thought was worth giving his life for. For you. And walk in love as beloved children. As Christ loved you. And gave himself for you. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you would bless this word to our hearts. Help it not to be beat down by persecution or choked out by thorns or stolen away by Satan, but help it to bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold. We pray that you would give us time and that we would use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.